This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. The next Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Hey everybody, Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins. This is Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi, and we're coming to you right after the Civil War, getting you ready for really the only game that matters at this point. Pac-12 title game, Friday night, Santa Clara, Utah, Oregon. Going to be a good one. So here's the best part about this game on Friday. Not okay. Here's the second best part. Ducks are in it. Okay, there's the first best part, right? <laughs> makes my life better. Makes everybody's life better. Uh, and I don't think this has been talked about enough. Okay, so that's why I'm going to bring this up right out of the gate. This is a really good football game. I agree. And that hasn't I been agree. talked about enough, in my opinion. The Pac-12 championship, almost since it started has kind of been like, eh, all right, you got one good team against one bad team. You know what I mean? Lots of blowouts. You know, un- un- This is a damn good football game. Yeah. I-, I said it this way on my show last night. The playoff committee is patting themselves on the back because they set up Oklahoma-Baylor yeah. as a potential play-in game. Right. They set up LSU-Georgia as a lock playoff, uh, playoff play-in game. Right. And then Utah-Oregon Friday night. For years, what's the narrative, right? Pac-12 yeah. wants to get away. Right. They want to escape all the other games on Saturday. They want to own Friday night. Right. And they never have. Right. Now they finally get to own Friday night. Yeah, now I think you got a game people want to watch. And I think, in my opinion, regardless of what happened to Oregon a couple weeks ago, you know, whatever we're going to talk about the rest of the podcast, I think you have two teams in Oregon and Utah that on any given day – would fare well against the top five to 15 in the playoff rankings right now. Yes. Uh, th- they would play respectable against pretty much everybody and, and win their fair share, in my opinion. And that's that goes for both teams. Win, lose, or draw Friday night, I think you have two quality teams that are going to play each other Friday night. A very physical brand of football on both sides of the ball. Uh, it's a great thing for the Pac-12. Now, we sit here and we say that, and we you know obviously both teams need to show up. Oregon needs to show up. Should if they do that, it's going to be a hell of a game. It's going to be a hell of a of a of a chance for the Pac-12 to really kind of dig itself out of this. You know, I don't whatever you want to call it. They're just not in a great spot, really. I, I noticed the key phrase there. If they show up, well, yeah. Do you think they show up? I mean, that's a million dollar question. I mean, I don't know. There's nothing for me to do now at this point. I'm not really one of those guys that like to, likes to back out and change things. I said a couple weeks ago, after the loss to ASU, Oregon would beat Oregon State, and then they would beat Utah in okay. the conference championship. I okay. said that. I I'm like going to stick by it. I'm sticking by it. See, I, I think that's rare. I said on my show yesterday, I'm just kind of you know, sticking my finger out in the wind. It felt like everybody's going against Oregon. They are. Well, I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, after what we've seen the last two weeks, at least offensively, I, I don't blame people for feeling that way about Oregon. I mean... Do I have concerns? Absolutely. I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oregon's winning for sure. Book it. Go bet on it. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. But I think for those that are giving Oregon no shot, a ready and a 
you know, and a composed and you know, if we get if we get to see uh, you know the best Oregon team on on Friday, uh, you know, at least that we've seen so far this year, they're going to compete with Utah at the very least. They're going to be in the game. So. You know, I mean, there's no secret to the game. You're going to have to be able to run the football effectively. Uh, Justin Herbert has to be good Justin Herbert. You know, we've talked about bad Her- bad Herbert, good Herbert. It has to be good Herbert. It, if if even remotely bad Herbert shows up on Friday night, it's over. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I can't predict that. You can't predict that. But I can say that if they do get good Justin Herbert or even fairly good Justin Herbert, Oregon's going to be in the football game. Yeah, yeah. To me, that's that's a big barometer. The other one is... Can you get that defense back to where they were a month ago? Because I think about the Washington game, Wazoo, yeah. Arizona State. You have some offenses sneak up on you, some big plays go against you. And if you get that shutdown defense again, like yeah. back in the Cal game or the Stanford game, I don't know how Utah beats them. I I agree. I mean, I think even the defense that you got against Oregon State on Saturday – I mean, they were good enough. What I think Oregon State ended up with ten points. I'm trying to remember the score, but yeah, twenty four ten. And uh, you did enough there. I mean, as much time as the defense spent on the field Saturday against Oregon State, and they spent a lot of time on the field. I think Oregon's defense did a good job. Now, again, you know, uh, Jake Luton wasn't back there throwing the football. I understand it's Oregon State. I get all of that, but uh, you know, like you said, yeah, you're going to need. And and I think Oregon, uh, Oregon. In my opinion, Oregon has always fared better against the power of football teams. I mean, just under Mario Cristobal, that seems to be something that he's able to plan for, scheme for. I don't know what the case is. He seems to fare better against them than the you know spread teams or the uh, air raid teams like a Mike Leach. So you think they do better against teams that are like them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I just think that you know against power of football. You know, that seems to play in. You know, I know Mario's got his little metrics thing that measures, you know, this and that and third downs and, you know, all these different things. And I just think that, you know, for whatever it's worth, those metrics seem to really fare him well against those types of teams. But I don't know. I just think it's going to be a close game. Um, Obviously, the weather's going to be a deal there. I don't know. I mean, they both got to play in it. So I, I always get weird when people start mentioning weather and who it favors. And, you know, typically, yeah, I think the team that runs the ball a little bit more, it favors them. But they both run the ball, you know, quite a bit and fairly well. Right. I don't think Oregon runs the ball enough, frankly. But it, It's funny you mentioned the weather. Uh, December in the Bay Area, Ugh. that means rain. And wind. I, I saw the video footage of players, uh, you know, doing the drills where coaches are hosing the balls down or making them dip them into buckets. And yep. I just wonder how much of an impact do you think work like that has? I, I mean... You know, I suppose it's probably one of those things where, you, you know, it becomes, I don't want to say, muscle memory is not the right term, but, it, you know, you put them through practice this week, that way it's not so foreign right. on Saturday. I'm like, oh gosh, the ball's wet, what do I do? It's like, oh yeah, I remember on Tuesday when coach was squirting me with a water bottle and the ball was wet, you know, I just changed how I held the ball or whatever. So, um, I mean, I like that you get them in preparation. Again, both teams have to play in it. I don't know that Utah, obviously it can get pretty cold and snowy over there in Utah, I don't know that they've really had to face much of that in games yet this year, so it doesn't seem like they have a huge advantage there. Um, at the end of the day, it's just going to come down to two teams playing football and not making mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to get to more of that game. Yeah. Obviously, I think it's the big game and, and the only Pac-12 game on the slate. But of course. the big game for Duck fans this week. Also want to let you know about the guest we're efforting, right? We're efforting, yeah. We'll, we'll keep working on that. We're just going to keep recording the podcast. I'll keep an eye on my phone here. Uh, supposed to get a text. That's just kind of how, 
is kind of how this thing works, you know. And I guess that's how it works when you get guests that uh, you know have other jobs and other lives and all that kind of stuff. They don't just hang out, wait for me and you to text them and ask them to be on the show. We don't get Mario every week. <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> not this week. Yeah, especially not this week. Yeah, Mario failed. We're not going to get any of those guys this week. But, um, you know, made an attempt to reach out to Yogi Roth. Uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to get him on, you know, for the fact that, uh, you know, early preseason we had him on and he singled out Oregon and he singled out Utah. Yeah. Um, he, he mentioned he U- went to bat for Utah. He did. He went to bat for Utah. He also mentioned USC would be better and they were. Um, you know, uh, uh, were any of them outlandishly hot takes? No, but they proved to be fairly accurate at the end of the day and he stuck by them. So, um, you know, he was on the call Saturday, uh, for the Oregon game, um, you know, saw him doing the post game and stuff. So I know he got to see that up front firsthand, but uh, anyways, Yogi was busy. We weren't able to get him. Um, we'll save for the other guests to see if they're going to come on. And if not, we'll let you know, but we'll definitely have him on. Uh, at another time, if not today, because uh, a real, real interesting story to tell. Excited to to get him on. So. All right. But otherwise, you know, Ducks beat the Beavers. Yeah, yeah, and and it's funny because Beaver fan after that game is in post mortem mode. Right. You know what what would the season mean, and how do you evaluate Coach Smith, and how do you evaluate that team? And I just think, man, there's so many question marks there. Think about where Jonathan Smith is after two years and where Mario Cristobal is after two years. It's night and day. It is. It is. But, I mean, you know, let's face it, you know, first and foremost, first and foremost, the team, well, the team that Jonathan Smith inherited was really bad. And, I like, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. Just, I mean, there's a few good players. There's an Isaiah Hodges, Hodgins. There's some guys. There's some. There's a couple dudes. But, you know, you're not going to win at this level with just a couple guys and then a lot of guys that – fairly you know frankly you'd probably like to replace Uh, and so uh, i guess you know uh, fans lose sight of this it's always a numbers game when it comes to fans it's always you know five wins eight wins ten wins who'd you beat you know all that kind of stuff and for me it's all about progress you know is your coach showing progress and and then that's the thing that gets overlooked and that's the thing that unfortunately uh people just aren't patient about you know, hey, is this team better? Yeah, okay. How much better? Okay, did they win two games last year and they won five games this year? That's quite a bit better. That doesn't seem like it, but that's quite a bit better. Um, I think Jonathan Smith's doing a great job. Uh, my only concern with him or question with him or whatever you want to call it, would have would have had a Ben Bolt eligible, hadn't gone for it on fourth down against Leach. That oh, sticks out to me, man. Yeah. I just – and that's a young coach. I mean, he's a young head coach, at least in that regard. I think that's one of those where you probably learn and move on from. I don't dis. I mean, I get it. You go for it. You're trying to get bowl eligible. You know, you got Oregon the next week. It's like, man, we kind of might need to get this one, or it's not going to happen. But I, I still think you punt it, pin them deep. I'm with you. Take your chances. But you know that one. And and I say this. Everybody jokes that. Oh, Matt Bagley's a Beaver fan. I'm not. No. But that broke my heart watching that. Yeah, because I I really thought this is going to bite them in the ass. Yeah, I you know I think it broke a lot of people's hearts that aren't even Beaver fans just because you have seen this team grow and you thought, man, this team's not going to have a pulse this year. Everybody picks them dead last. You know they're they're going to win a game, maybe two games. That's it. And here they are beating teams they have no business beating. You know, in games they shouldn't really be in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of think, man, cool, the Beavers might be back. Good for Jonathan Smith. You know, comes back and he's leading his team, you know, back into the right direction. And, yeah, it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. Just, you know, it does. Ducks beat him by two touchdowns. Could yeah. have been more. Could, Could have been less. Should have been more. Okay. Yeah. Should have been way more. 
what was the biggest frustration after that game? Offense, just flat out offense. And and I say that that's the broad term. Okay, you know, Jay Hop, what do you mean offense? Yeah, the offense was frustrating. It was it was a it was a boring offense. It was tough to watch. Um, it was largely ineffective. Um, you know, at first I I'll be honest. At first I go home and I'm sitting here shaking my head, going. Holy crap, Justin Herbert's bad, and I feel bad saying that. But he played awful on Saturday. He just flat out did. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to – I mean, I wouldn't expect him to, you know, I wouldn't expect him to, to say anything different about his own performance. It wasn't very good. And now, do I lump all of the offensive woes on Justin Herbert? No, but it's going to be a big part, and it's always going to be a big part because you and I, regardless of opponent, said, you know, for, for all season long, you know, this team goes as far as number 10 takes them. Yes, Period. Yes. And you see that on – I mean, it's just – it's it's exemplified game after game. This team's really good. Guess what? Justin Herbert's dealing. He's not throwing balls in the dirt. He's not missing five yards over receivers' heads. He's not missing wide-open receivers. The ball moves, and they score points. You get what you get on Saturday, and it was really bad offensively. He's he's very off. He's, he's throwing – you know, he's throwing simple, you know, seven-yard outs in the dirt. He's throwing – you know the ball five yards over Jawan Johnson's head, which is tough because he's six foot six. Um, you know, so that's my rant on Justin Herbert. I was, I was, and and then frankly, I went back and watched some of the game again. And I didn't watch it all. The play call was very vanilla. Um, I think just like Justin, the big thing I say about Justin Herbert, he's inconsistent. When he's good, he's good. When he's bad, he's bad. And even Hithladay's kind of said, you don't get much in between. You get. The really good side, or you get the really bad side, and it frustrates you, you know. And and that's just Justin Herbert. I think there's a similar comparison to Marcus Arroyo, when he's on and his play calls are good, and he's mixing it up well, and he's sticking to his run game. He's really good. And if he's really good, and Justin Herbert's really good, the team executes and they move the ball, and it's really good. When Marcus Arroyo, I think maybe gets bored or starts to outthink himself, outsmart himself. It starts to go bad, mm. and I think there were large stretches there where not only was Justin Herbert not hitting, you started calling passing plays that really made no sense. Oregon, the last two games, Oregon's nearly averaged six yards per carry in both games for the entire game. Yes. Why go away from that? Yes, mm. I totally agree. Run it until they stop you. I, I see it this way. Oregon has a clear identity, yeah. and, and part of it is in the talent that they've developed, and part of it is in the, the hand that they're dealt with injuries and things like sure. that. You're not going to be a high-octane, air-raid spread offense because you don't have five healthy receivers out there. Right. You have the best offensive line in football and a stable of backs that – do you have a feature back? No. Right. But you have a lot of guys that can do a lot of things. And like you're saying, averaging six, seven yards a pop, I don't care who your quarterback is. Right. And I don't care if you got Jerry Rice and Marvin Harrison out there wide. Run the damn ball. Yeah. I mean, what would Bill Belichick do? Right. Seriously. Right. And and when a team has that identity, a power run identity, and you go away from it, yeah, it doesn't work. No. No, I think Oregon, you know, there were there were stretches there where a drive would start out great. They'd get, you know, one, two, three runs, and every one of them would go for five, six, seven yards. You're setting up second and short, and I, I think for the sake of throwing the ball, they'd start to throw the damn ball, and it's like, why? It's Why? Just run it down the field. Right. You know, I'm, I'm in right. the stands thinking, like, that has nothing to do with Justin Herbert. Whether you have good or bad Justin Herbert, if you're averaging five, six, seven yards a pop, and they were, just turn around and hand off the ball. 
I don't. I mean, if, even if all of the fans in the stand boo you and they're upset because you're not throwing the ball, and I had there was fans by throw the ball, throw the ball. Why? Why would you throw the ball? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Right. Um. So that I guess that's my uh, that's the offense in a nutshell. I also think overall, overall, and and again, I'm going to say overall. You're talking about a probably slightly above average talent level across the board of an offense. You're not elite at wide receiver. You are, with the injury to Jake Breland, you are really, really shallow at tight end. I mean, way below average. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Justin Herbert, when he's on, you are above average. When he's off, you are below average. Running backs, as we've talked about, we'll say they're average. I mean, I, I don't think they're bad. They're not world. You're not turning around and saying, guess what? I know I got three yards back there if I turn around and hand it off to Verdell right. or die or whatever. No, I, I think back to what Coach Campbell said with us, what was it, a month ago, a month yeah. and a half when we interviewed him about Oregon's got good backs. They don't have a great back. Yeah, no, I agree. So I my my opinion on the offense is, you know, you're only going to get so much out of them because it is a good offensive line, and I, and that's a huge part of this. It's, it's a good offensive line. Um, when they're injured, I, that changes the dynamic of the offensive line quite a bit. Uh, but other than that group, and really other than what I would say is the left side, Panay Sewell and Shane Lemieux, those guys are pretty elite. There's, and, you, and we talk about this on Scoop Duck, there are not many offensive players that would start on most of the upper end Pac-12 teams. And we're just talking about Pac-12. And then if you take that and you talk about the top 10 or even the top 15, there are not many offensive players that would start on those teams. And, and I'm Why not trying to dis- that is? Well, it's recruiting. That's been a byproduct of recruiting up until this point. Now, you know, everybody's going to sit here and say, well, you know, yeah, or, but Oregon signed a, a top 10 class last year. Yeah, exactly, last year. I mean, that's one class. You're talking about true freshmen. So if everybody sits here and says, well, you know, Brian Addison's on the roster and, you know, Josh Delgado's on the roster and, you know, yeah, yeah, you're right. And Spencer Webb, you know, Spencer Webb was a borderline four-star. Look, you can tell me that they're all four and five stars when they're coming out of high school. That doesn't matter. You can look on the field and see that we can look on the field and see that C.J. Verdell is a good back, maybe a little better than average, but definitely not elite or the dude. No. And you could say the same about it. I mean, Spencer Webb. Yeah, when he's out there, he makes catches. But, I mean, if he's only out there a fraction of the snaps and, you know, gets the ball once or twice a game, I mean, I'm just telling you the coaches see him every day. I would think that if they saw something in practice that would warrant him getting more time and more snaps, they'd put him out there. They're the ones that see him every day. So it's getting better. I mean, I think the offense is getting better. Obviously, you get a guy like Micah Pittman coming in, injured, of course, but you can see that you just alone, his presence, you know, rose the offense just a little bit when he was out there. And, and you're going to get – now you got more of those guys. You know, you had Lance Will Hoyt, uh, Drawn Waters. Both those guys were good, highly ranked uh, wide receivers. Been injured all year, right? I mean, just – you're talking about freshmen. So you you can the, – the key with recruiting is, you know, your recruiting really is about a three-year-out window, okay? So what Oregon recruited two, three, four years ago is predominantly what's starting right now. So they recruited about four years ago when uh, Steve Greatwood was here. He recruited a really good offensive line class, and we're seeing that. All, the, all those guys other than Sewell – and Warmack, when he's out there, all those guys were recruited under Steve Greatwood three or four years, same class. Um, you know, at receiver, Oregon missed several years in a row. 
like badly. They missed badly several years in a row. Um, you know, you've had Justin Herbert, and again, good Justin Herbert, you're in great shape. Bad Justin Herbert, you're in rough shape. Um, so again, I, I'm not making excuses, but it's a th- it's a three part deal. Mm-hmm. You got the inconsistency of Justin Herbert. I believe you've got the inconsistency in play calling at times with Marcus Arroyo. And overall, I still think you're working with a limited group from a talent standpoint. Pretend that there's no Pac-12 title game and the Ducks are in the same spot Oregon State is. Not so much in record, but just in mood of you're you're looking ahead to next year rather than looking ahead to a game. Do you let go Marcus Arroyo? Million dollar question. I mean, do you? You know, do you? I mean... So here's how I see, okay, this isn't a direct answer, but this is the way I compare it. Everybody's enamored with the Clay Helton situation at USC, and we can talk about that later. Yeah. But here you are, you're talking about a guy, I mean, you're talking about a guy who won eight games, okay? You're talking about a guy who finished second in the division in the Pac-12 South, okay? And who was basically really just a win away from being in the Pac-12 championship game at the end of the day. And you're going to fire him. And okay, why are you going to fire him? You know what I mean? What are, what are the reasons you're going to fire him? Uh, forget buyout. Forget all that stuff. Whatever that might be, you're looking at a guy that honestly did probably what he was supposed to do this season. Did he exceed expectations? Probably not. Did he go below him? Probably not. Um, how do you justify that? And we can talk about that without emotion involved. We're going to talk about Marcus Arroyo. Oregon fans are going to be like, you get rid of him. He was terrible. We lost to ASU. We looked terrible against Oregon State, right? That's what the Oregon fan right now is saying. I don't know. You won 10 games. You won the you won your division. You're playing for a conference championship. It's not that easy. And my question is, I if you if you want to get rid of Marcus Arroyo, which is, you know, a, a totally plausible conversation, who are you going to get? Are you going to improve there? That's the key, you know. I mean, if people who say you can't get much worse, I don't buy that. I don't think that that's I don't think that's being fair. You're not being fair in the assessment. If you want to say we're, you know, we can improve, okay, who can you get that will improve that team? He's already making 750 grand a year right now. Who who are who is out there? Who I mean, you can't go get the next spread disciple because I don't think that will mesh with Mario Cristobal. That's the key. Yeah. Like like I know you've brought this idea up before about Jim Harbaugh and and his failing at Michigan being a schematic one that he wants to sign a bunch of guys to play old school smash mouth yeah. football and he doesn't have the athletes to do it and so he loses all these big games. I'm not saying that Mario Cristobal is hamstringing the Ducks or, or restricting right. them by any means, but I just can't picture Mario going with the hot trendy thing in college football. Yeah. To me, he's good if if he does look for a coordinator, he's going to look for somebody that does a lot of what Marcus Arroyo did. Yeah. Yeah, it won't be much different. I I mean if people assume that you go get a different offensive coordinator and the offense changes, you're going to be you're going to be disappointed in my opinion and in your opinion it sounds like. Yeah. You're just going to flat I mean you, go get Graham Harrell from USC. Like no. like you said, he's not getting an air raid guy. Yeah, he's not that's not I mean that is you have to understand some things about Mario Cristobal, okay? He 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 knows what he knows and he sticks to that, okay? He's going to end up being really good at the things that he is most comfortable with, okay? It might be his downfall at some point. We don't know. Right now, we certainly can't say that because he's made Oregon a better football team. 
They won a conference championship, which is the goal. They were in playoff talk two weeks ago. If you're going to sit here and say Mario Cristobal is not doing a good job, you're just not looking at this thing fairly. You're looking at it emotionally. So overall, his body of work has been pretty good. The type of offense you're seeing is going to always be the type of offense Oregon runs. Okay, they're not going to get up under center. Okay, they're not going to they're not going to do five wide and, and just throw the ball fifty times a game. That's not that offense is not coming back to Oregon at least not under Mario Cristobal. And I got a feeling, I got a feeling Mario Cristobal is going to be at Oregon for a long time. I think he's going to be here for a long time. Mm-hmm. I get that sense from him. I know his name will be, you know, popped up in other uh, conversations. I get all that. That's and that's great. That's what you want. If you're Oregon, you want your head coach and your assistant coaches being talked about for other positions. You want your athletic director being considered for other positions. That's the key. But I tell you what, if they're doing their job good enough, Phil Knight will make sure that they stay. No doubt. Which is why Rob Mullins will always stay, and I got a feeling Mario Cristobal will stay for a long time. And and that's not just Phil Knight. That's illegal, evil, supervillain booster <laughs> Phil Knight, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, that's the, you know, that's going to the, that's when you go to the betting table with your little stack, and I'm all in, and the other guy over there's got the monster stack, and like, okay, I'll call, because losing that little fraction doesn't make a difference in my day. No, no. <laughs> he's he's having fun in his old age. Yeah. Um. Got to talk about, I love that you mentioned the angle about Cristobal and coaching rumors because it it brings me back to something he said the last time we interviewed Mario, and uh, and I think it's relevant today. Yeah. When I look at the college football landscape and I see every college and everybody else, everybody just fighting over Mike Norvell and Matt Campbell. As they should. Mike Norvell, at least. Yeah. And... uh, and I and I scratch my head wondering why is everybody about to stab each other over a coach at Iowa State? Right. And you know, does does Florida State realize that there are nine other schools that want Mike Norvell? Right. Um, I think about Mario Cristobal, and right. I think about how great a candidate he would be at some of these other schools, and yet he's on the record as saying he's a duck. Yeah. Here's the deal. Here's the thing, man. I in the end. Why did USC keep Clay Helton? Here, I'm going to go back to that. Why did you? Well, we assume they kept. We're assuming yeah, they will keep Clay yeah, Helton. Everything I've heard, and and I know a lot of other people started to report this last night as I, well. I read it on Sports Illustrated. They're going to keep oh, Clay Oh, oh, yeah. No, we got it. It's locked <laughs> in for sure. Yeah. But no, uh, everything right now, is, I, I think there's supposed to be a press announce, a press release some, sometime today about it. It might be happening right now. I don't even know. But um, I expect him. So back to your question, okay? Why does USC keep Clay Helton? Okay, he won eight games. He probably did what he's supposed to do. Secondly, who else are they going to hire? Right. I like there is a severe lack of candidates out there because of the massive amounts of hires the last couple years. And I'm not sitting here saying Mike Norvell's not a good hire. Matt Campbell's not a good hire. They might end up being. We've listed two guys. Bob Stoops. Okay, Bob Stoops was pushed out for Lincoln Riley. Bob Stoops is big game Bob. He couldn't win the big games at Oklahoma in the Big 12, which really isn't very good top to bottom. Yeah. What's, and I'm not picking on him. He's probably a, he's a good enough coach. But my point is there are very good, very few really good coaches. There just is. There's very few. And, and more and more schools are starting to figure this out. If you got a good one, you hang on to him. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, think, I think James Franklin will stay at Penn State for a long time. He's a good coach. He does, he does a lot of things really well. They got enough money. They're going to hang on to him. Ryan Day's obviously proved his worth. 
Um, oh, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, he's not. But oh, there's I, no way Ohio State would let him go. There's a reason Jimbo Fisher got whatever ridiculous contract he did. I don't even think Jimbo's an elite coach, but he's a pretty good coach. He's going to keep A and M respectable year after year as long as he's there. Um, I mean, you just see it across. There are very few. Really, really, I think Washington Washington is in trouble, in my they opinion. Had one. They had a really good one, and he grinded himself out. And I get it. It's a grind anymore. It's an absolute grind. I don't fault Chris Peterson for taking a step out. Totally different situation than Urban Meyer, than, you know, with the headaches and stuff, having to take a break. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> no. Like, like it was easy, especially for Duck fans. I was reading a lot of Duck fans compare the two. Yeah, there's and no. And say yeah. that, well, this reminds us of when Herb left Florida. And. I don't see it just because no. with Herb, okay, you know that guy's lying through his teeth. Yep. With Peterson, I'm going to give him the benefit of a doubt. Yeah, I genuinely believe time it. Back with his family. Yeah, I genuinely believe Chris Peterson. Uh, in my opinion, and I and I I wrote this on Peterson on Scoop Duck. I think, I think he went from a really good situation at Boise State, and went to Washington and expected that his coaching ability would you know would win out and they'd be able to. And they were able to do that at first because the Pac-12 was pretty weak when he, you know, took over that job. Right. Now you realize you have to recruit your ass off like no other, especially with Mario Cristobal in the conference now. Kicking your butt. Yeah. I mean, he's up to the ante for everybody else. But you have to and you and really at the end of the day, your really good coaching doesn't have as much of an impact as it did. Mm -hmm. You got to have the athletes. Otherwise, there's a lot of, you know, it it really washes out uh, dramatically. So in my opinion, a guy like Chris Peterson goes back to maybe a Boise state in a year or two, takes that job, coaches it for the next 10, 15 years. Doesn't even pick up the phone for any other opportunities because you don't have to recruit that hard at Boise state. They're going to end up winning because of a byproduct of his really good coaching. Right. And the recruits will come there. I mean, cause you're not recruiting against USC and Washington and Oregon. No, they've built their niche. Yeah. They've you've built their niche. You got a of, different market. If you aren't a power five caliber athlete, or you feel you are, yeah. and they just don't see you that way. Yeah. When you get that call from Boise State, hey, you're thinking back to the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. You're thinking back to Chris Peterson with those cojones on national TV right. calling the trick plays. You sign up for that. Yeah. And he can work, I don't know, I'll just say 30% less at Boise State, have all the success he wants there, You know, run that conference, occasionally enter the playoff debate picture here and there, You know, depending on how well they do. Um, you know, so I, I, I think he'll fully end up back there. I think it's the right move for Chris Peterson. At the end, they're taking a huge gamble on Jimmy Lake. I think he's a great defensive backs coach, uh, obviously knows defense, but everybody who just assumes that they're able to hand off to the next Lincoln Riley or Chip Kelly, that isn't exactly how it works. I mean, it's right. a, it takes a pretty unique skill set and situation. I, I think it's interesting. Like you, you mentioned there's not a lot of great college football coaches. Right. Very and, few. And you mentioned that the dynamic is different now in the Pac-12 than it was, say, three or four years ago. Yeah. It, it's amazing to me to see Mario Cristobal coaching at Oregon. And this is a point I want to address on my show today. Uh, we're taping this early in the day, so I have my notes, but I haven't said anything yet. How lucky is Oregon to have Mario Cristobal? Yeah, you know, I mean, an athletic director's job is really difficult anymore. You've got ridiculous salaries. You've got ridiculous contracts and buyouts. So that's your first hurdle. Secondly, you've got to generate excitement. So do you go get a retread? And, you know, do you go get a Mac Brown? You know, do you go get one of those guys and, and hope that, 
they still got it left in the tank and they're going to turn your program around. Uh, you know, a less miles, you know, those you'll get a retread and, and you take a gamble there. OK, if you go take the next up and comer, what's the success rate there? Twenty five percent. I mean, for every up and comer that succeeds, there's right. two or three other guys that failed on the way. Right. You know, and it doesn't make them bad coaches, but head coaches a totally different CEO job than just being a good DC or a good offensive coordinator. It reminds me of when Jonathan Smith took over at Oregon state because the impression that I got and, and it really stuck with me until about halfway through the year when they turned it around in the PAC 12, this guy has never been a head coach before. Yeah. And we knew it and he knew it. You could see it on his face and you could hear it when you talk to him. He just had never been a coach before. And like you said, that's a really hard thing to do. Now, he surrounded himself with a lot of assistants that yeah. he could lean on, yeah. guys that were older and experienced that could tell him, hey, this is what you should do, yeah. or this is what I've seen done. But not every coach does that. No. A lot of a lot of coaches are too arrogant to do that. They don't want to be told how to run their program or what to do. Um, you know, They don't have that level of humility to do that. And it's just, you know, look, I mean, another perfect example is look at LSU and Ed Orgeron. I mean, USC had him. He begged for that job. Right. And they said, no, thank you. Moved on. I think Sarkeesian was next for a year or two, and then, then it was Helton. And he ran out of booze and yeah, he, figured he, something else yeah, out. Yeah, he ran up the bar tab too high, and that was it. <laughs> but, you know, so you had you had Ed Orgeron at USC begging for the job. Much like Mario Cristobal, you had p- players begging for him to get that job. No dice. He goes to LSU, doesn't have the greatest first year. And now, I mean – they're a national championship pick. Yeah, I mean, like, and that's the thing. If you're not giving these coaches time, I mean, Ed O's a perfect example of people ready. They were ready to run his ass out of there. It was like, I think last year was the year of if he didn't win eight games or more, he's out of there. And I think he did enough to get by. And now look at, I mean, look at, I mean, they're yeah. freaking, they're good. Loaded. They're the only ones that compete with Ohio State this year, in my opinion, but we'll see. Um it just goes, you just, I mean, it's such a crapshoot. I, I mean, Oregon's got a good one. They know they got a good one. You know, if fans are upset because you lost to Arizona State in the in his second year and he's 10-2 and two playing for a conference championship, I don't know what more you want, but I'm going to tell you right now that it's 75% more likely that the next coach is not anywhere near as good as Mario Cristobal. I mean, the, the numbers really are not in your favor that you're going to go. And, and Rob Mullins is really good at his job. I'm not saying it's because of Rob Mullins. I'm mm-hmm. just saying... If you go find the re- – hey, what if they brought Chip Kelly back? I mean, you know, I mean, what – I mean, I don't know the offense they, would be more exciting. I, I don't even know if they'd want Chip back I, I don't think I don't think so. I mean, yeah, the offense would be more exciting, but recruiting would, would be a disaster. I mean, just – I don't know. Hey, maybe you maybe you hire Chip as the head man and you have Willie as his OC. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> that'll solve your recruiting uh, problem. That'll, that'll solve your problems, huh? Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, college football, man, just it's so tough. And we, and we can sit here, and I, I think that's the thing. If fans can remove the emotion and take Oregon out of the equation and start looking at other situations, right. I think you really start to appreciate how good you have it. Is Marcus Arroyo the best offensive coordinator in the country? No, he's not. Is he the worst? Absolutely not. So who are you going to get that's better? You know, I mean, Andy Avalos. This is still his first year as a D.C. at this level. He's learning on the go. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's doing a tremendous job, but there are mistakes that he's making, and I have a feeling it's because he's still a first-year D.C. So um, 
a, a couple more things on Oregon, Utah, and then, like you said, let's definitely talk Chris Peterson. Let's talk Clay Helton, and then get you into five games before uh, switching gears to hoops. We both like the Ducks this week. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Are we double jinxing it? So so far this year, the only game I've incorrectly picked was ASU. And I originally was going to pick that as a loss, and then that week I second-guessed myself, didn't do it. What, what made you think that was going to be a loss? Uh, the fact that ASU had lost four straight. They weren't really playing very good football. Um, you know, Oregon at that point was playing pretty good football week in and week out. Um, it just seemed like, you know, one was trending this way and one was trending this way. It seemed like. And so you thought that would be a trap game? Oh, originally? Yeah, yeah. Oh, originally, before, like, the season? I thought that was a trap game. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought that the was season, a season. So I'm going to go back to your original point. When we were talking about Justin Herbert, NFL coaches are going to put on the tape and figure out what you do against Justin Herbert to keep him being ineffective. Mm-hmm. Herm Edwards is an NFL coach. He's got Marvin Lewis. I guarantee they spent two or three weeks just watching Justin Herbert and his tendencies and figured out how to make him inefficient. And he was for five-sixths of that game. He was very inefficient. Right. So, you know, I thought that experience and the fact that it was a trap game, uh, I, I felt that was a dangerous game for Oregon on the road in Tempe. I thought that all the way up. I know I kept saying for weeks, I think Oregon's going to lose one more. I think Oregon and everybody, which one is it? Which one is it? And I didn't give it away. I had always felt it was going to be ASU. And then, I, and I'm not saying that I was right because I wasn't. I switched it that week and said Oregon would beat ASU. I just felt the four-loss skid. It changed my mind. I should have rolled with my gut. Do you carry any of those same concerns into Santa Clara? Oh, 100 uh I don't know if I'd say they're the same concerns. I definitely have concerns. But I felt two weeks ago, even after the ASU loss, I felt Oregon would beat Oregon State. I thought they'd beat them by more. They won. doesn't matter. And I felt that they would beat Utah. I think it's a, I think it is a team that they match up well against, even though Utah is really good. Um, and I, I get the sense that we'll see their best football. I think there's a lot of seniors on this team that want this thing to go out the right way. So that said... I am nervous about this game, and now here we are talking about it, and I'm thinking about going back, and it's like, nope, I'm not going back. I picked Oregon to beat Utah. I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with my gut. Yeah, It might be ugly. It could be like the craziest, sloppiest play. I don't care. Win by one, win by 100, just win. That's yeah. it. Yeah, see, I, I agree with you largely. I think that this is a better matchup for them. Yeah. I think that, like you said, we really haven't seen their best yet. We've seen it in stretches. Two quarters against Auburn, uh, three quarters against Colorado, yeah, uh, a half against Cal, a half against Stanford, but we've never seen it for a full game. Yeah. And I think that's the key for Oregon. If they come out and play their best, I think they are a better team. I think they're more talented across the board. I think Justin Herbert has it in him, and I think Marcus Arroyo has one more game to prove the doubters wrong. Yeah, I <clears throat> you know, whatever you want to think about Marcus Arroyo, I think there's some, you know, interest in, in him as a coach in other places. Whether, you know, whether he looks at any of that or doesn't, I don't know. I know all eyes are on Utah this week. That's a, uh, a topic for another week to discuss. Consider it maybe a debut for him a little bit in those regards. I, I just, I, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, Arroyo probably 
gets a little frustrated at the at the talk he gets, and I think he's got a di- I, I think he's got a difficult job. And the reason I say he's got a difficult job, you have to meet the demands of what Mario Cristobal wants from his offense. He might not be calling every play, but you know that you got to stick within a certain right. box. You're not going to play finesse for Mario. Yeah, you got to stick within a certain box to be Mark uh, Mario Cristobal's offensive coordinator. Secondly, once you're inside that box, okay, you got to know if you've got good Justin Herbert or bad Justin Herbert. And you absolutely have to change your game plan based on that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds ridiculous to think that we're talking about an NFL quarterback, but you absolutely do. You can't tell me that you can go into your game plan and see the Justin Herbert we saw against Oregon State throwing balls in the dirt, balls five yards high, missing receivers, and stick with that game plan and be successful. Mm-hmm. You absolutely will not be. So I think he's got a tough job. I mean, and I'm not saying that it's because Justin Herbert sucks or anything like that. I'm saying he's inconsistent. I felt that way for weeks now. If we get good Justin Herbert on Friday night, Oregon's going to win. Okay, so I feel really good about that. Okay. We'll revisit that later. We just spent a couple minutes talking about Chris Peterson. Yes. Does he ever coach again? Yeah, I think he's back at Boise. I think we talked about the 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 small pool of good coaches, and, and I know that I'll say this. I think Brian Harson's done a good job at Boise State. I think somebody's going to snatch him up at some point. Boise State's only going to be able to hold on to him for so long. And secondly, there's probably, maybe not today, but six months from now, a year from now, there's probably a little less motivation for them to try and hold on to him, knowing that Chris Peterson would probably come back and take that job in a heartbeat. I I think now, here's the thing that we haven't really talked about, okay? I'm going to throw out, Duck fans, are. if you guys are listening to this podcast, you're about to do a fist pump, right? Oh, no. No, you're not. Washington might have done you a solid twofold here. I think promoting Jimmy Lake might end up being a mistake for that program long term. Short term, it's going to keep their recruiting probably intact. I think that's a win for Washington there. Long term, I'm not sure Jimmy Lake's the guy. He can definitely prove me wrong over the next couple of years, and I will be happy to eat that crow. Secondly, okay, we all talked about where would Andy Avalos go. Oh, right. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So your Boise State, you're looking at like. Do we take Chris Peterson back, or do we want to go after Andy Avalos? You're going to pick Chris Peterson. I mean, you are absolutely – I love Andy Avalos, but you're freaking stupid if you don't take Chris Peterson back. At least this. It doesn't mean that they won't consider Avalos. Sure. But now Avalos isn't the first phone call. Yeah, he's not the first phone call. And now you're talking about a a coach. uh, You're talking – so now we're back to talking about a guy that's never been a head coach, is currently a D.C., a very young D.C. at that, okay? You you remove Boise State, his next his next job up, you know, is it I mean USC is not gonna come calling for him first. I mean those those aren't the types of jobs you're gonna get even if you're the most successful defensive coordinator at Oregon mm-hmm. over the next two years. Now four four, five, six years down the line, you can change that narrative. But right now, you know, I think it might help Oregon keep Andy Avalos a little bit longer than anticipated. After that, who knows? And that's great. Yeah, that's a twofold win for Oregon, yeah. in my opinion. Because I, I know it's easy to say he's a, a first-year coordinator at a Power 5 conference, and he had his lumps. Yeah. I still feel like the difference between this year's defense, last year's defense, night and day. Oh, yeah. And and the potential for next year when Kayvon freaking – I'm blown away by him, Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah. 
rushing the passer one play and then tracking tight ends and coverage 20 yards down the field the next play. Uh, the potential for guys like him and guys on that defense, sky high. This defense is about to be legit. You got Noah Sewell coming to town. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a five-star. You might get Justin Flo. I mean, there's definitely a lot of mojo there. I put a prediction in for Oregon this morning. Can we talk about just Oregon. how massive Sewell is? Oh, dude, you're talking. Yeah, he, he's like the Incredible Hulk out there. Yeah, and then you're going to have him and Justin Flo standing next to him, and Mace Funa standing next to him. I mean, seriously, this defense is about to be ridiculously talented. Was it was it you that put out the list of all of the linebackers by recruiting rankings? Oh, no, Where, I didn't. I didn't. No. Okay, I, I saw this the other day. Somebody on Ducks Twitter just laid it all out of five-star linebacker, four-star linebacker, five-star linebacker, yeah. four-star athlete, turn to linebacker. Yeah. Just all these guys, they are loading up. Oh, yeah. And for that defense, that's perfect. Yeah, and you're talking, you know, Oregon's right now, currently, Oregon's weakest spot on defense is safety. You got Bennett Williams coming, who was a freshman All-American in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you're you're talking about an instant plug and play there. You know, somebody that makes that defense. But dude, this defense is about to be rocking. And so, anyways, back to the bigger topic. You know, Chris Peterson coaches again. No question in my mind. He left the door open. I think he regrettably. I think he regret. I say this. I think he regrettingly left Boise State for Washington. Had if he had to do it all over again, he'd probably just stay at Boise State. And keep doing what he had going. That's amazing. It was a good thing. It was a That's good amazing. thing. It fit him. He won the Pac-12. Yeah, he, he did. He gets to the college football playoff. Yeah. And he might look back and say, I wish I'd never left. Yeah, I mean, I, that might be foolish of me to say it when you look at it that way. Well, no, I'm, I'm not but picking yeah. it apart. I'm just, no. like, taking a moment to to think about that. Like, whoa. And without, without, I don't know, but I think his daughters, I think he's got a, a couple kids, a couple daughters, I think it is. And they're right around the high school age, the upper high school. So, you know, spend the last couple of years with them, get them out of the house, and then put your, na- your name back in the hat, you right. know. And I, I, think, I think he will. Uh, he'll coach again, in my opinion, and, and, and he'll be successful again. There, there's something to be said for that. I just know? don't think he'll coach at the elite level again. I just think, I, do, I just, you know, he can find a Boise State or a Fresno State or a San Jose State something and just kind of turned it into his thing. You oh, know? imagine him at Fresno State. Or San Diego State when Rocky Long finally retires or whatever. Yes. Oh, and that's a sleeping giant. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to live in San Diego, especially if I was 17 or 18 years old. So, yeah, I think, you know, like you said, that's a sleeping giant. UNLV's out there. They built a bunch of brand-new facilities. Everybody's talking about that job. Um, you know, that's kind of a sleep sleeping giant. And, again, we mean sleeping giant in that conference, in that respect. Are they going to go and beat Alabama? Of course not. I mean, come on, guys. They're not USF, UCF, no. but, you know. <laughs> oh, they're not USF either. Yeah, they're not USF either. How, how about that? Looks like uh, Slick Willie. Yeah. He, he borrows the plane to go meet with Florida State, gets his dream job, and it looks like he's going to go back to USF. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. The the bus ride number two, huh? Down yeah. to down to uh, Tampa. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good fit for him. I know Willie Tiger's still eager to coach, uh, very eager to coach. I, you know, again, how long was Willie Tiger at FSU? Two years. Yeah, two years. How, well, a year and a half. Yeah. How? I mean, like, I'm not a Willie Tiger fan. I know Oregon fans hate him, although they shouldn't because Mario Cristobal's here. I mean, how do you know he didn't have enough time down there? I mean, seriously, right. I, right. you just you don't know. I agree. And, and again, a year and a half is not he. 
he got to bring in one class of freshmen, and that was it. Mm-hmm. That's all you let him do. Yeah. And you said, ah, you're not good enough. No, two games into the year, they already were, were grinding the axe for oh, yeah. to get rid of him. And don't get me wrong, I can't say that I don't understand why. I do, but there are very few really good coaches out there. And, I mean, right now you're talking about FSU. FSU is a big-time job. And I think the best candidate they're talking about right now is just promoting Odell Hagens, who's been there forever. That's amazing to me. Right. I mean, that's that's where we're at. That's what people don't get. They're so quick to fire anymore. You know, I I am sure USC would have fired Clay Helton if they could have got Urban Meyer. That's really the only name out there that makes any sense. James Franklin's never going. Penn State wouldn't have let him go. Okay. James Franklin's not going to USC. The next name after Urban Meyer that I saw was Bob Stoops and Jack Del Rio. Tell me if either of those really ignite anybody. I I mean, I'm not picking for USC. I would pick Jack Del Rio. Oh, I know you would, yeah. But I'm yeah. biased. Yeah. I'm, I'm very biased. And I think part of it is I give Herb the demerit because of the off-field stuff. Because we don't like him. I think he's a yeah. douche. <laughs> I yeah. just don't like him. Well, I think if he, if he doesn't have the reputation of right or wrong, the facts are he defended a wife beater yeah. and empowered a wife beater in his program for years. If he doesn't have that, I let everything else go. Who cares if you coached Aaron Hernandez? Who cares if you coached Percy Harvin and all these nut jobs at Florida? Right. And uh, all the lies and cheating that you had at Utah and Ohio State. I don't care about any of that. I just feel like that's just just a step too far. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I But but like, I agree with you. If you took the off field out, he's the best guy. Yeah, he's the best candidate. He's your best he's your he is your best shot at getting back to relevance and winning again, I guess is my point. Um, but unfortunately I, I think USC was in a position they can't afford a black guy. They couldn't afford any potential of a black guy from and that's one thing Clay Helton doesn't do. He's pretty squeaky clean and, and you know, kind of keeps things in check from that perspective. So I think there was a lot for them to like about that. But uh, anyways, yeah, I guess, and, and we're not even, I mean, like we're getting started on the coaching carousel, but I, I don't know if it'll be much bigger this year. I think, I mean, Tom Herman's on the hot seat. He's not going to get fired this year because he got rid of his coordinators. So he bought himself one more year. Mm-hmm. But again, you're talking about a guy who was highly, highly coveted a couple years ago, already on the hot seat. So white hot seat. That brings up another question with Clay. Last year at this time, we were laughing because he just about purged the OC, the QB coach, yep. the ball boy, the janitor. Yep. If you coached at USC and you weren't Clay Helton, he was throwing you under the bus right. to keep his job. What's he do this year? Defense, buddy. Defense. He's, he's going to have to get rid of his coordinator, probably most of the position coaches there. Uh, I would expect that along with – Clay Helton being retained, I would expect that there's at least two to four assistant coaches of some caliber axed. Do you think that helps or, or hurts Oregon in recruiting? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> USC is ranked 60-something, I think, right now and nationally uh, in recruiting. So it can't hurt? Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely – I don't think it's going to help USC. Uh, really, the only main guy that – Oregon and USC seem to be battling out for is five-star linebacker Justin Flo. And the feeling there is it's been an Oregon-Clemson battle. I think he's maybe feeling that he needs to stay a little closer to home. Clemson's obviously a long ways away. If that's the case, I think USC crawls back in the picture. But, you know, I, I, if, you, if you keep 
if you keep Clay Helton, I don't know that that helps you very much. And then if you fire all your defensive coaches, who does he have a relationship with? You know what I mean? Right. And so, you know, Oregon, meanwhile, has had a relationship with Justin Flo with a number of coaches for a year now. That's going to be tough to beat, especially when we're recording. What's today? The fourth? We're the fourth, and he announces in 14 days. That's amazing to me. Right. So, I mean, you know, USC might not even have a defensive staff in place at that time when he announces. So, I guess that's the reality there. I guess we'll see how it plays out. It's recruiting, man. You never know. You just freaking never know. All right. So... Talked Oregon, Utah, mm-hmm. broke down Chris Peterson's departure from UW, uh, sprinkled in a little Clay Helton and USC as well. Yeah. And I feel like going into five games. Yeah, let's do five games. And I was just told in about 10 minutes we could get our guest on for a little bit and close oh, out that with that. Sweet. Yeah. That's perfect. So let's do five games and then what that'll give him his 10 minutes. All right, we do this every week. Five college football games, and the catch is none of them involve Oregon. Right. We know you're going to watch that Friday night live from Santa Clara, but Saturday, man, there's a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, obviously there's the uh, um, Friday game, Oregon, but you've got Saturday uh, that'll be uh, what, do, what do they call it? Call it what do they call it? Conference conference championship Saturday? Is that what it's called? I think so. Something like that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you kick off with okay. at least a couple if you want. And yeah. then if you got more, we can keep it going. I'm, I mean, there might only just be like five games, really. <laughs> Honestly, we're yeah. probably going to have the same five yeah. games. We might differ on one or so two. So you go and we'll just talk about them. How's that? Oklahoma it's, Baylor. Oh, yeah. Oh, just, yeah. Just because of the implications. Right. And, and I thought it was brilliant. I don't agree with what the committee did, but I understand why they did it. I thought it was brilliant. They stack Oklahoma, Baylor, Utah and Georgia all in a row. Right. Right. On the playoff rankings. So now if you're just focused on who gets in, you've got to watch Oklahoma Baylor to see who leapfrogs Utah. Right. You've got to watch Oregon, Utah to see if the Utes drop out. Right. And you've got to watch LSU, Georgia to see if Georgia drops out. It was definitely a lot more exciting when Oregon was up there, huh? Right. I mean, I mean, Oregon taking care of business against ASU. It probably was a win in your end situation. Two of them, yeah. But but you you have potentially if Oregon had won out, yeah, you have two Pac-12 teams vying for that spot and two Big 12 teams vying for that spot. Right. That's amazing. That is amazing. Um, I, I feel like I'm saying that like eight times today. I just <laughs> amazing. Well, I. I I don't know, like, I, I'm kind of tired. I woke up early, didn't sleep well. I think that's it. Okay. App State, I, 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 you know, I'm going to put them down. I'm going to put them down just because I love the story. I love what that program has become. Right. Top 25 this year. They got on the playoff selection show at times this year. I just want to see that team and, and see what they look like on the big stage. I, I, I love it. I mean, are they, are they a giant killer? Or I mean, uh, App State's favored by six and a half there. I should back it up and mention Oklahoma is favored by nine points over Baylor there. <clears throat> I think Baylor's going to end up beating Oklahoma for what it's worth. So Really? I think, yeah, we'll see. I think Baylor's going to get it done. But yeah, uh, Louisiana, App State, I'm not going to pretend that I've watched a bunch of either of these teams. 
or know a lot about them, but App State is currently 21st uh, in the country. Maybe they get inside the top 20 with another win. I don't know. Uh, the next one is really Cincinnati and Memphis. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. The Mike Norvell show. Yeah, the Mike Norvell show. Uh, Memphis is a, a nine-point favorite in that one. Uh, 11-1 versus 10-2. Yeah, so let's see. They've done, a, well, Louisiana and App State and Baylor and Oklahoma are both at 9 o'clock, so you'll have to double TV it there. That right. one's this one's at twelve thirty, but uh, going probably, up against the SEC title game. Well, yeah, because that one starts at one, so you'll get to watch Cincinnati, Memphis for a half hour, and then you'll be back to double TVs, Georgia, LSU. So Georgia, LSU, they've got LSU favored by seven in that one. I like Memphis to beat Cincinnati. By the way, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I, I didn't put that game in my five just because I I think it's not going to be that thrilling. Right. I think Memphis. This is the year where they just steamroll everybody in their conference. Right. Um. Instead of that game. I, I went with Hawaii, Boise State. Yeah. Because I, I really like this Hawaii team. I'm, I'm a huge Nick Rolovich fan. I love Rolo. Uh, I thought he was a great hire by Hawaii a couple years ago. I know, uh, I don't remember the record, but I know his first year was pretty rough there at Hawaii. But they've stuck with him, which is something that I appreciate. And I know that he's done a really good job with, uh, you know, Hawaii there for, for several years did a very poor job recruiting the islands, you know, which – you would think you could field a pretty good team, you know, just from getting, you know, most of the upper uh, preps out of Hawaii and American Samoa. And that's what they used to do. That's what they used to do, yeah. And so I think Nick Rolovich, uh, Nick Rolovich has done a good job going back to that. Uh, Rolo, uh, a while ago at the time, was the OC at, uh, at Nevada, Nevada Reno, and he was the first offer for Justin Herbert. So he, he knew Herbert could be a good one. Um, always been a big Rolovich fan, but... You're talking about Brian Harson and, and uh, Boise State. They're going to steamroll them, unfortunately. 14-point mm. favorite in that one for yeah. Boise State. That's that's what Vegas thinks. Yeah. Love the Hawaii story, but I still think Boise State runs. So those are uh, three of mine so far. Yeah. You threw out Memphis Cincy. I'm, I'm guessing I'm three out of four? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin. I mean, I don't know that it's going to – I don't know that it's going to be that close. Um Ohio State's a 16 and a half point favorite. I think if anybody can hang with Ohio State, it's Wisconsin. I think if they can do enough defensively and really grind the ball out and really run the football and keep the ball out of Ohio State's hands, keep it away from Justin Fields, I think they can keep that game respectable. Is Jonathan Taylor your Heisman pick? Because you love this kid. Dude, I love that kid, man. That kid on Oregon's offense would just be sick. He'd have a gazillion yards. And Oregon would probably be undefeated. <laughs> I don't know. You still got to turn around and hand the ball off, I guess. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Vegas definitely thinks Ohio State's winning that one. Pretty hard to bet against them. I think they'll win it out at the end, but I think Wisconsin can keep it closer. Yeah. See, I didn't put that game on for the same reason. I just think Ohio State's going to roll. I think you get a close game alert on that one, like if you have that on your phone. I think that one will be when you get a close game alert, like in the third quarter or something. Wow. Wow. Yeah, for me – uh georgia lsu yeah had to throw that one on there yeah just because of the implications and i know some people roll their eyes and they're sick of the sec i'm one of those people that just begrudgingly i accept yeah it's it's good football i accept the sec at the top is really good football it is it's really good football i don't accept the sec top to bottom is you know 
worlds better than everybody else. No, yeah. no. And and I say this with the caveat, I'm excited to watch the SEC title, not the Egg Bowl. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, no, I'm uh, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you know, when you got uh programs in there like Arkansas and Mississippi and Mississippi State that really aren't very good right now, they really drag down the conference. But they are top heavy. Georgia, LSU, Bama, those are some really good teams. Auburn obviously still a pretty good team out there. Um you know, Florida's a good team. I mean, they got four or five that are good. But again, just to say that those that conference is, you know, blows everybody out of the water. The the Big Ten's got you know the Big Big Ten's top heavy too. They got two or three, three or four at the top that are pretty good. Um, you know, Pac twelve, Pac twelve's pretty good at the top. You know, Oregon, Utah, USC. I mean, those three are pretty good teams. Washington's not a bad team. I didn't have a great year, but I mean, you got some good teams there. Yeah, I, I would say the Pac 12s argument is. We don't have a giant. We don't right. have a Pete Carroll era USC, sure, or a Chip Kelly era Oregon, but we have a lot of really good six, seven, and eight win teams that could probably beat the six or seven, eight win teams anywhere else. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, you know, I think Oregon and Utah are are equals. I'm. That's the thing about the Oregon Utah game. Utah really hasn't beaten anybody. How good are they? I mean, they beat the teams they're supposed to, don't get me wrong, and they've looked good, but how good are they? I don't think they've played a team Oregon's caliber yet, so we're really going to see. And if and if good Oregon shows up, then it's going to be a ball game for sure. But, yeah. Uh, did you put down Virginia Clemson? Let's see. Uh, Oklahoma, Baylor, App State, Louisiana, uh, Georgia, LSU, Hawaii, Boise. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, oh, you did put down Virginia and, and, Clemson? And the reason why, this to me, it's kind of like how you feel about Ohio State, Wisconsin. Yeah. We haven't seen a team come close to Clemson yet. Well, North Carolina did. Okay, North Mac Carolina Brown did. did. But that, right. was, that was like week three? Feels like it's been a whole. It's been a long time, yeah. Yeah, it has been a while. I just want to see. It's so hard Talk about the attrition of college football. Yeah. And week by week, you have to bring your A game every week. They went 15-0 and last year. Yeah, yeah. And they blew out and Alabama. And they smoked people, yeah. Yeah. They blow out Bama in the national title game. The only team in history to go 15-0. and Yeah. They're on pace to do it again this year. Right. And at some point, I just wonder, okay, are they better than Virginia on paper? Yes. Yeah. But... Can you do this again? Get Can you up, go yeah. thirty and zero? Yeah, I don't think so. No, I, I think Bronco will play him tough. I mean, especially you know with the way they closed out their game uh, last weekend uh, against Virginia Tech. You know they were able to to win that game and they they came back and, and really put on a show. So um, yeah, I think Virginia will play them tougher. And I think Clemson's a lot like Utah. We don't know how good they are. Yeah, they're winning, but I mean, are who they, they played? Yeah, I mean, who have they played? Are they really that good? Uh, also. Uh, you know, well, not really. I'm just putting it on because it's on here. But in two Saturdays, the only game in two Saturdays, December 14th, is Army Navy. Army Navy. Yeah, baby. Ooh. Yeah. So two Saturdays, we get to look forward to that one. See, most of my friends that are in are cadets, so I, I have no battle in the fight. Uh, my cousin is a Navy man, though. Gotcha. So I've always said, "Go Navy, beat Army." Go Navy. Yeah, so some uh, pretty good, some pretty good football this week. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys are going to the game on Friday. And if you're not, I understand. At least stay in and and stay warm. Bay Area Ducks <laughs> represent. Oh, baby. Bay Area Ducks represent. Uh, but we got a guest, and we can close this sucker out. 
so I don't know how familiar Matt will be with him. Um, but for those of you that have followed me or, you know, I remember talking to him coming out of high school, but so get ready. It's, it's, uh, it's Andre Y, Andre Iru Retigoyena. I know that I, I'm just going to call him Andre Y from here on, but he's going to come on the show. Um, you know, he's, he's done some things. You're probably going to wonder why we're bringing Andre on. Um, but, uh, you know, we're going to hear his story. We're going to talk to him a little bit. Uh, about some stuff he's gone through after football, after his playing days at Oregon. Really excited to have him on. Um, really excited to hear his story. And I think, again, this this the reason we're doing this, the reason Matt and I are doing this, I think this really will bring back the human element of all this. These, these football players, they're human beings, they're people, they have lives. They, you know, some of them that succeed and go on to the NFL and others don't. And so, um, you know, it's always fun to follow those stories and, and hear more about them. But, you know, Andre Y, uh, Andre Y was one of the one of the Chip Kelly guys came in, you know, highly touted out of Arizona offensive lineman, one of those great offensive line groups. I imagine he'll have a few stories to tell about that particular time period. But um, e- even more, he'll he'll tell us a little bit about what's been going on with him since uh, since his playing days. Right. This is a really riveting interview. Let's get to this right now. Andre Iru Retagoyena. Andre Iru Retagoyena, and I'm sweating bullets trying really hard to pronounce that right. He's with us on the phone line right now. Duck standout back in the day. Uh, for those who might not know, Andre, can you give us a refresher on, on all the fun you had at Oregon? Um, I would say standout is a bit of a stretch. I will say I was an All-American bench warmer, and I'm proud of that. Um, but, yeah, no, I played from uh, 2011 through 2015. Um, I had uh, Chip for two years, and then I had Coach Helfrich for my last two. Uh, in that time, we had, obviously, the, the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, a couple of Pac-12 championships, the Alamo Bowl, and then... Um, the, the first year of the college football playoff, which didn't end how we wanted, but uh, it was still a good experience nonetheless. So I, uh, I had some real solid years there and uh, got to see a lot of really cool things happen with like Marcus winning the Heisman and stuff like that. So um, definitely a couple of special years in there. Um, but now I'm living in New York, so big change of pace. Yeah, you, you definitely uh, you definitely switched things up pretty uh, pretty drastically there, but you were basically involved in the golden age of, of Oregon football, I guess, if you will. Um, I guess if you don't mind, how was the transition, I guess, originally between Coach Kelly and Coach Helfrich? How was that kind of like, at least from your point of view as a player? Uh, I mean, they've, they've, they've got different coaching styles, and I'm sure everyone has their own opinion of it. Um, I think both were great coaches. Uh, Chip was definitely a little bit more of a, a, a hard-ass, um, but uh, health was significantly more genuine in my eyes. Um, either way, uh, you know, I, I, I will never bash either of them. I think they're both awesome coaches, awesome guys, and uh, cared a lot about the players, and obviously we, we had a lot of good success with both of them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a totally different like type of duck football now, and I'm, I've been having a lot of fun watching it, um, and I, I, I hope it continues to be as successful as it has been yeah no it's uh yeah mario Cristobal is definitely i i don't know if you've been back yet to meet coach Cristobal, but it's definitely a different uh a different uh different style of football these days uh, if you will but um, yeah we're, we're fitting in there with sec teams which is pretty cool yeah it's really not i mean yeah, in, you ter- know, in terms of size at least 
no, yeah, you're right. It's really not anything I ever envisioned, you know, in my, you know, my decade plus covering Oregon football. I never kind of imagined it being this way, but you're right. It's very, uh, very SEC style of football. Um, I'm going to ask you this back to the playing days. Did you, do you, is there, I know you had like Tyler Johnstone, you had some dudes that I think you really uh, had a pretty tight bond with. I know Brie Amaranthus was with, was with you guys, a really fun group. I remember the calendar. I can't remember if you were in it or not. Were you in the calendar? Uh, I was actually, I was, a, I was uh, my first year out um, when I, for, I didn't end up doing my fifth year, but I was, uh, I was a guest star in the back of the, uh, in the cemetery picture, but I honestly, I can't even remember what I was doing in it, but yeah, I was, I was in there. It was just a, I was disguised, but, um, yeah, Tyler and I grew up together in, uh, Vancouver, Washington and got separated for a while there, but then we like reunited in high school and we were both visiting U of A out of the blue. Um, and then we ended up obviously committing, uh, and then we met Bree along the way when she worked for the athletic department and, um, or I'm sorry, the, like the, she was, uh, one of the snack bar gals, uh, and then, uh, we all just kind of hit it off and ended up living together for three years with some other people. And it was just, uh, it was a great, great experience. That's for sure. What was that one of the best times you had? I mean, are you still in touch with everybody from that group for the most part? Yeah, I, I'm actually, uh, I was talking with Tyler the other week, uh, and then Bree and I, I saw her, I was visiting Portland when I was, uh, or for over Thanksgiving, so um, I, I had my, my 27th birthday on Tuesday last week, so Bree uh, and a bunch of our friends all got together at our, our favorite uh, watering hole, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday night, actually, Um <laughs> And then, um, yeah, it's, we, we all stay in touch still, so that, that part's pretty cool because it's been a while. Uh, you're in New York now, so let's, let's, let's uh, move on from that. You're in New York now. Tell us about what you're doing in New York. What's going on with you now? Yeah, so uh, I, I uh, had a couple of years where I literally had no idea what I wanted to do with myself. I am one of those uh, guys that didn't truly take advantage of all the resources available to me when I was – uh, a senior and, and uh, not going on with my, my final year. Um, and so I kind of just had this period of time where I was like, I basically lost. I mean, you go from uh, the support of, of uh, an elite program like Oregon and uh, then it's, it's like getting the carpet ripped out from under you and you're just, you're just like free falling and you have no idea what's, <laughs> what's going on. But uh, that, was a, that was a struggle that I am really learn another side of yourself there and um you know you might have a couple of years where you're struggling uh which i did i, I bounced around from a couple of jobs um but i knew i wanted to get into sales uh, and then as i started doing some sales i knew i wanted to get into medical device sales so uh now i work for uh, a medical device company named boston scientific uh and i sell spinal cord stimulators that uh help treat chronic nerve pain so uh, I did that for a couple of years out in the Portland area and covered all of Oregon, Washington, and Alaska. And then I transferred out here to be more so in just one territory. Um, and so I've been here since uh, December 28th of last year, and it's been going great. How do you like New uh, How do you like New York so far? So the the, uh, the first few months were very very difficult, and uh, the, there was just a whole bunch going on at home. I I, I took this job out here after I had visited a couple of my coworkers for just some vacation, 
um, and there was an opening, and I was like, hey, why not? I'm, you know, I could use a change in scenery and, and mix things up a bit. And then shortly after that, my, uh, my sister was suddenly diagnosed with uh, leukemia, and so just the weight of that on my shoulders, you know, I, you think of cancer and you hear about it happening to people around you, but then when it, you know, knocks down your front door and it's just like, uh, holy crap, is this, it's almost surreal the entire time. Um, so I had uh, to, you know, prepare for a move across the country where I was away from every single person I knew. And I, I had a couple of friends here when I moved, but it's still not easy moving from, you know, Portland, Oregon being what's considered a, a big city to me to uh, New York, which is like seven or eight million people crammed into and they tell you the city that never sleeps. I mean, this place is always on the go, and it's just, uh, I, I mean, I've talked to people that have either lived here or visited here, and um, they, there's just some sudden, some sense about it where you're, like, high anxiety at all times, and um, uh, with everything I had on my plate with the move and my sister and uh, getting used to just the, the animal that is New York City, I had I, uh, I mean, I've always had anxiety problems, but nothing ever to the point of where I, uh, I moved and, and had what I dealt with for the past, you know, for the first probably like four or five months is when I was really struggling over. I, I finally got help I needed and, and things, I mean, the summer was amazing and work's been going well the whole time. So uh, there, there was light at the end of the tunnel and that, that part was nice. Uh, let's start with something quick. How's your sister faring uh, with her leukemia battle since? She is doing great. She's, uh, I think she's approaching 10 months in remission at this point. Um, she got her care done at the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I went to high school. Um, so she, she had, I, I don't think there was, uh, you know, a better, better place she could have gone. Um, and they did an amazing job, and she's doing great. She's starting to... Uh, work again and and she's been able to travel um, so things are going great for her now you'd mentioned the anxiety and stuff a little bit and it sounds like you've battled it uh, you know for I guess at least through your early adulthood for the most part but it, it sounded like things really amped up here in the la within the last year or so is that is that uh, like fair to say yeah, I mean, I, I to give you a little background on it. I mean, I've I've dealt with anxiety, I guess, to uh, not not anything nearly as bad as I had here. But I also was uh, I had a, a period of time in college where I was I was depressed, uh, and you know the same thing sort of happened right when I did this big move. I mean, it, it was hard going from everything I knew in Scottsdale up to Eugene, and then you know taking on college football. Uh, there was a, a, you know, a year or two where I was really struggling up there, and obviously um, the, the, the playing with, I, mean, I guess my playtime, and uh, it, it wasn't going exactly as planned there. Um, so, you know, trying to, to deal with all that, and um, it just, I mean, it weighs on you, and, and I, hit, I hit a low point, but the uh, best thing I ever did was uh, sit down with, uh, a counselor and they, the athletic department has a guy that we use. His name's Dave. He's the he's the freaking man, and and I spent a lot of time with him. Just uh, you know, I guess learning coping mechanisms and and just you know learning it's it's okay to <laughs> to have emotion and 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 uh, you know it's I'm not, I'm not alone. I mean, I know 
I know there's plenty of athletes like me. It's just so many, so many of them are scared to get help that they need because you know, God forbid, we show a, a vulnerable side and we look like you know we're we're wussies in front of our teammates or whatever. Um, I think that's a, a huge problem within the athletic community, and um, it's been nice to see people like Ron. Uh, I'm sorry, Rob uh, Gronkowski came forward about having issues like that and. Um, you know, it's it's starting to be more of like a hey, this is okay. You're not alone. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to get help that you need. I mean, it's it's truly been a life changing thing for me. So uh, I I always encourage people that I talk to to um, at least explore the idea of it. I'm not saying you got to go in and spill your heart out immediately, but um, look, the, you know, the, the best thing you could do is at least talk to someone about what's going on and and seeing what options are out there to help get you in a better spot. Yeah, I think that's extremely extremely relatable, Andre. I think back to my own life. It's something that I've dealt with, and I've had friends and family that have dealt with it, and and I know that it's a common problem. But like you said, so many people are afraid to come forward, and, and it's, it's not considered manly or cool or tough to talk about it, and sometimes it's, it's the only thing you can do. Uh, in, in your yeah. experience dealing with it, is is that what you'd recommend? Just finding somebody and, and talking about it. Is there something else that worked for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, the the easiest things to always do when it comes to managing stress and uh, anxiety, or whatever you want to call it, uh, is obviously working out. I mean, talking to to Dave was. I mean, it, it did so much for me. It put me in a much better spot. Um, like so much better and I, I just I didn't have any issues you know hiding things from people and uh, just keeping everything all cooped up because I mean that stuff it just it just adds up over time and at some point you'll reach a breaking point and you know I, I didn't get that bad in college just because things started getting better and um, uh, but but the issue with college is you know you're you're showing up there as a freshman you got all these people that, I mean I'm sure every team has just absolute studs on it, and you don't, you know, you don't want to look. You're basically fighting to make yourself look like an alpha male in front of a bunch of people that are already alpha males, and so that's I think where young athletes get scared to, to you know, express how they're feeling. And um, can't stress enough, you shouldn't be embarrassed about it. I, I've I've had a couple of really bad you know times in my life, and I've always come out uh, on top and grateful for the experience. And um, here was hands down the worst it's ever gotten i mean i i uh i kind of I, I got in touch with justin after i had shared a, a post recently from my my birthday and it kind of talked about what what had gone on and uh when i when i say my anxiety a low that i never thought was humanly possible i mean i, I it was physically debilitating for me i would I'd have days where I'd wake up. I mean, I'd have random nights where I'd just wake up in a, in a panic attack. And, you know, you can't figure out why, but a panic attack for me, it might be different for other people. But for me, at least, I am hyperventilating so bad that uh, I, you feel like you're having a stroke or a heart attack almost. And um, I don't know if you can, do you know the feeling of when you, like, fall asleep on your arm and you wake up and it's numb and then it starts being a bunch of pins and needles? Oh, yeah. Okay, so what happens to me is when I start hyperventilating like that, that sensation is it's just sharp and painful, and it just takes over my entire body, and then I literally start getting full body cramps, and that 
uh, I, I had five trips to the ER where that happened, and, and I just I needed to get, like get myself to a safe place, and you know, I was scaring the crap out of my mom, and and you know she can't do so much from uh, from Arizona when I'm all the way out here, and I was just uh, once again I had re- uh, gone to a place where I was just reluctant to get help I needed because I uh, I, I don't know for some reason I just I, I felt like I could get myself through it, and I just didn't want to talk to anyone about it but i i got to a point where i like basically had a, a, a mental breakdown and i appreciate my my coworkers. they they stepped in big for me and let me uh, take some time away from the field to get my head right and um you know I, I eventually just slowly but surely got better over time and uh again that's that's just me not being scared to share what i had and you know it, it's you know it can be a little embarrassing sure but uh, I, I don't imagine I'm, I'm alone in, in dealing with, you know, big moves, big changes, and trying to adapt to a place that you're just completely unfamiliar with. And, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm grateful for the past year. It's been uh, one, one heck of an experience. I was miserable here at first, and now it's uh, a place that I love. So, uh, again, it's just you got to go through those trials and tribulations, as corny as it sounds, to... Um, see what you're you're capable of handling, and it just makes you a, a stronger person at the end of the day. Is this and and I know this is a tough question because you know you're in New York now and you haven't played you know for a while. But in in your estimation, is this a bigger problem than than most of us are aware of? You think overall? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I mean it. it uh, I feel like so many people just keep everything inside, and and it just it just piles and piles, and they. They look for other ways to cope with it, and you know whether that be partying or or other stupid things. It's uh, you know it can be a slippery slope, and you can make some really stupid decisions. But um, I, I just hope that the whole mental health aspect continues to um, it, it just it becomes more and more accepting. I feel like every year, and I think it's great. I mean, I don't know if you saw um, Derek Malone. Uh, he did a, a piece. I think he did one this year and one last year uh, on his experience with depression. And uh, that's a dude whose name was on a much bigger stage than mine ever was. And uh, I I think, yeah, I applaud him for being able to share that story with people just because, um, you know, there's people that are even that were bigger players than Derek that probably have gone through the same thing and whether or not they got the help they needed or if they just toughed it out, uh, you know, uh, great good for them. But there's still going to be those people and players, athletes, whatever, that, uh, aren't able to do it on their own and, and do need to get help, but they're just too scared to. So, uh, or I guess they're too embarrassed to. Uh, and again, that's where I'll just, I will hammer home. You know, you have nothing to be embarrassed about. It, it happens to the best of us. Uh, yeah, I'm not a small dude, but I, I have emotions <laughs> just like everybody else. And uh, sometimes things get a little out of whack and you just got to get help. There's no, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, and I want to, I want to make sure I phrase this the right way and I'm not, you know, coming, trying to come up with excuses, but did this, you think this had a major impact on your playing days at Oregon, your ability to maybe push through some things that you'd, you know, been able to push through before, or maybe get to that next level? No, I mean, the, the truth of the matter was, is my, I mean, my ankle still bothers me from when I broke my leg when we were playing Michigan State. Uh, so I broke my leg and I had a high ankle sprain that affected me more than the break did. Um, but I think that injury ended up being a, a blessing in disguise almost. Um, that off season, I, you know, I put everything into it and everything went really, really well. 
um, and I was loving it, but in the back of my mind, I was still feeling this sensation of, of being burnt out almost right. um, with football, uh, and I was realistic of my situation. I'm not one of those guys that's going to just die with my, my dream of trying to get to the NFL. I, part of my reason for not coming back was I wasn't getting better. Uh, I wasn't in the, the mindset to be around a bunch of you know, 17, 18-year-old kids coming into a top five program at the time at least and you, you just can't have the, the state of open uh, around people like that like you need to have just in, people that are infectious in a positive way and I have no problem admitting that I just wasn't in that state of mind and it was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made um, I remember telling Tyler when we lived together like that was one of the hardest people I had to talk to about it just because I, you know, I, I just remember it vividly I walked into his room and I I broke down just because it was it was something that was embarrassing to me and um, you know leaving my teammates and just the whole experience it really sucked because I love that aspect of it but you can't like I said you can't be in the mindset of uh, I'm feeling burnt out and you know my body's not getting better it's just a it's it's a it's poisonous in a bad way and you can't have that around a, a team with you know up and coming players and. Uh, yeah, it was a tough decision to make, but I, I, I have no problem admitting that I think it was the right one. Um, and, you know, I'm, again, I'm not going to put my, my mental health on whether or not I could have potentially had a better career. Uh, I just, I think my head was elsewhere most of the times. I, I didn't really have the too crazy of a social life when I was in high school. I mean, I had a lot of friends, but... Um, I was just, you know, I was looking to have an identity other than just being a football player too. Um, and I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, socializing in college and I, I don't have any regret with my career. I I think I made the right choice at the end of the day. And, um, I, I hope, I hope people don't feel pressured to go into a fifth year that they're just not wanting to go into. Um, but they feel pressured to just because, uh, they're going to be viewed as a quitter or, or whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, like rival fans are always going to talk down to people or talk down to athletes that don't have, you know, star-studded careers. But uh, I, I find comfort in the fact that those dudes are just sitting on their couch, hitting their 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 thumbs on Twitter on their <laughs> on their cell phones, and and you know they've done they've done nothing. So um, I, I just I can't stress enough that you shouldn't be. You know, you shouldn't feel pressured into doing a another year because that's that's a long year, man. I mean, you think about the off season and the, all the practices, the camps, and it's just it's a lot on you. And if, like I said, if you're just not in a place to to do that with a fire in, under your ass, excuse my French, then it's probably better that you just move on. And that's exactly what I did. Well, I mean, it, it, just to put it in a timely manner, it's it sounds a lot like you know Chris Peterson in Washington. You know, no fault of his own. Yeah. College football coaching is a grind for the players and the coaches, you know, and so yeah. I think he might be in a similar spot that you were at that time. It's like, man, I'm I'm worn down. I just I don't think I can do another year of giving this much, you know. And yeah. you give so much of that time, and it takes away from your life. You know, you're not able to go, you know, for him go see your kids, or for you go hang out with your buddies, and you know maybe just go play basketball at the rec or whatever. You know, just just doing those types yeah. of things, hiking. Um, well. You know, congratulations. So it sounds like everything's on the right path now, and 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 you're really uh, I don't want to say recovering, but you're really just on the on the right road. Yep, I'm on on the right road. Everything's been uh, amazing for the past six or seven months out here, and 
Um, you know, if, if there's any any athletes or really anyone that you know just needs to to chat about stuff, I'm I'm always happy to chat about it. Um, I have talked to some teammates that were in a similar spot, and um, I, I think just you know hearing someone that's going through a, a, a or has gone through an experience that you you're going through, it just helps to to have another person's opinion. But um, anyways, yeah, I'm always always happy to chat with my my former teammates even ones i didn't even play with uh like guys on the roster now um i i I just can't stress it enough to you know you gotta make the selfish selfish decisions for you at the end of the day when it comes to um your mental health and then just playing on a on a division one football team it's just uh it's a lot on you so um anyway yeah i uh i appreciate your guys' time and uh any any other questions for me no, we we want you to. What do you got? You got another hour left on your uh, on your way home. <laughs> on your commute. Uh, surprisingly, surprisingly, it wasn't as nearly as bad as I thought. I, I don't think my map app was was very updated. Uh, I don't know if you know what Waze is. Know know what Waze is, but I, yeah. I used Waze and uh, it was it was a little out of whack. So oh, wow. I'm I'm not too far from home now, but. I got plenty of time if you need to chat. No, we, we appreciate your time. We'll we'll definitely have you on again. And, uh, you know, as far as the traffic, you can keep that back there. All right, Andre? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will do that, man. I, I appreciate your guys' time. All right, buddy. Be well. Thank you, Andre. No problem. Have a good holiday. It's really enjoyable to me when we have a guest like Andre, and you can tell immediately two things. Number one. You've got that patented J-Hop rapport with him. You guys go back. You guys know each other real well. The second thing was when you have a guest like him who just opens up to you. Yeah. Yeah, the opening up thing is is a sincere is like you can't fake that. You know what I mean? You you sense it. You know that hey, this person's being real with us right now. This person's and you know like he's like he self-admitted <clears throat> it's really hard for people to do that. It's really hard for people to admit their failures. You know, it's really hard for people to admit struggles, uh, you know, in their personal or their business lives or whatever. And at the end of the day, it's the best thing for them. Like, talk about it. Work right. yourself through it. It doesn't have to be on a major platform like this. It can be with your friend. It could be, you know, if you're if you're a church person, go talk to your minister, uh, your pastor. You know, I mean, there's just people out there that will listen and will help you. Right. And and I think the biggest the biggest part, the hardest part is is asking for that, you know, or, or at least at least convincing yourself that you need that, you know, because I think there's a lot more people out there than than we realize. Uh, you know, I mean, on, I think Andre made a great point. I think I think there's I mean, he was a top 100 recruit coming into Oregon. I mean, it was, it was a big time offensive lineman out of Arizona. Um, without looking it up, I think Charlie Regal was his head coach at the time. Good old Regal at Chaparral. Uh, he's he's now an assistant coach at Cal. But um, <clears throat> you know those guys are coming in with all these expectations. You know, oh you're 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 the top you're a top 100 player. You're going to be a dude. You know, you're gonna you're gonna start as a freshman. Okay, well you didn't start. You're going to start as a sophomore. Look, not everybody's Panay Sewell. Okay, I mean right. like he's an exception to the rule. There's right. a lot. There's a lot more. You know, folks like Andre Y that come in with those expectations maybe just don't quite get there for whatever reason, injury or, or whatever the case might be. Um, <clears throat> it's just good to be honest with yourself about those things. The, the story that I always say, and I think this is where sports can relate to life. The story that I always say was I grew up thinking I was a genius. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I seriously, seriously, it's warped, pretty demented to right. think that way. Right. But I grew up thinking I'm, I'm brilliant. 
and I went to college. Yeah. And I went to Oregon Tech to study a very specific thing, computer science, and I met real geniuses. Right. And that was the moment. <laughs> like, you know, it's like working out and oh, there's Penny Sewell right there. Yeah. Or oh, there's Marcus Mariota back there. <clears throat> yeah. Like I'm not on the same level. I'm not as in this group, guys. yeah. <laughs> and and when that hits you, yeah, it it really can rock people. Yeah. Um, and for me, it took a couple of years to to find a balance in my life where I could be confident in my day to day life. And it, it sounds like Andre went through something similar. And and like he was saying, just be self aware, be honest with yourself, and don't be afraid to talk to people about it. Yeah. No. That's the yeah. That's the thing. Be being self aware. That's that's such a valuable. Uh, trait for a person to have being you know hey when you don't feel good why don't you feel good I mean are you are you not eating right right you know are you do you need to work out more what I mean what are the reasons be self don't embrace that just yeah fix it be self-aware yeah exactly you know I mean there's so many things you know why am I sad all the time well okay I'm, I'm drinking too much and I'm staying indoors all day okay well I probably should fix that all right probably should get some sunlight and you know drink some water or something you know I don't know just being self-aware of of what's wrong with you, with your body, with your with your mental psyche, um, you know all those things. It's it's just it's such a valuable tool. It sounds like you know it sounds like Andre has become. I think maybe, and I don't know. We could ask. We could have asked him, but I think maybe he wasn't quite self aware. You know, early on in the in the high school and college days, and as he grew up into you know his 27, 26, 27 now, probably gotten a lot more self aware of his body and when it's right and when it's wrong, or his mental you know being when it's right or wrong and. And I know we're talking about this, and it has very little to do with football, but it has everything to do with football. Mental mm-hmm. mental health is a huge part of sports. I mean, well, I think it does have everything to do. Like, 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 these are the stories that aren't being reported on right now. Yes, these are the scoops that you and Tyson and Matt and these guys aren't getting. Right, because this is the stuff nobody wants to talk. They about. They won't talk about. It. Yeah, I guarantee there's players on the current roster that of Oregon or other rosters that, you know, are having a lot of the same feelings that Andre went through. Mm-hmm. And most important thing, like Andre said, is for them to get help and not be afraid to get help, right. not feel like, Hey, you know, uh, Troy Dye is going to make fun of me because I went and talked to somebody about not feeling well. He's not, I mean, just, yeah. I mean, you know, I know they got your back. Yeah. They got your back. That's the thing. I, I think we we were becoming a, a, at least a, a little bit more of a self-aware society. I think, I think we tend to, pick up on that when things are wrong and and things are right a little bit quicker i mean it's it's not perfect but um like he said it, it just get help man just talk to somebody even once and then you know it might generate you to go back or find somebody else or you know what i mean just man it's it's tough and, and it just doesn't apply to athletes this is people that are listening to this you might be having trouble at work or you know with your spouse or what i mean we have i mean i have trouble with your kids i mean shoot you never know right you know ask a buddy go grab you know grab a buddy go grab a beer if you can you know hey man i'm just having trouble with this i just need to talk to you i just need to vent you know kim's a hairstylist she says she's basically hair therapy oh totally yeah like people sitting there i've read interviews where hairstylists have said that oh yeah hairstylists and cab drivers and uh bartenders yeah and oh yeah, yeah and bartenders yeah but no, I mean, Kim calls it air therapy. I have people sit in my chair all day and tell me things and she's like crazy things. And then that's it. You know I mean? So yeah, you, sometimes you got to tell somebody. So <laughs> anyways, I appreciate Andre for coming on. Um, great conversation. Great conversation. Yeah. A little different than our, our normal football centric conversations, which we have in abundance. And, and, uh, but anyways, I like to hear from him and other guys like that. Been through the program, doing other things in life, lives in New York now. 
um just kind of fun to see where these guys ends up end up and you know that's what i would say that's the fun best thing about facebook you know a lot of times i don't use facebook like in the recruiting side of things for my work work but later on like i you know guys like andre y and tyler john all those guys are still facebook it's so fun to see them grow up and what they're doing and what their jobs are you know i mean just it's just fun to kind of see all those different things that have zero to do with football. Right. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. Another thing that I think is super relatable, not just with sports, but with life. Yeah. yeah. Um, still want to wrap up this on a high note, and I'm afraid on time. Yeah, I, me too. I don't want to go over the two-hour mark. No. So we, I'm leaving this to you. There's a fork in the road. We can go football or we can go hoops. Well, I would say football is do pick of the week and, and lock of the week. Okay. Player of the game and lock of the week. All right. And call it a day. Sounds like a plan. Lock of the week. Lock of the week. Okay. Bear with me. Lock of the week is Oregon will hold Utah to under 24 points. I love your rhythm there. That was that was that very was delayed because you're like sort of walking on coals, you know. You're like or or like you're walking on the bridge yep. in the horror movie, yeah. And it's rickety and it's about to collapse. I couldn't decide if 24 sure. or 27. It was 24 or 27, and the reason I come up with that is because if Oregon does hold Utah to 24 points, I think they win. See, I think they win. Outright, I think they, I think they win. I think, I think they win outright. I've picked that, but I think that's the key to the game. If you hold Utah to twenty-four points or less, Oregon's going to win. I for, just feel it. For me, this is a game where, and I like that lock. Yeah, this is a game where the duck defense gets back on track, and yeah. and you get back to the identity of this football team. They are not a team that puts the ball in the hands of Justin Herbert and says. Go air it out and win us this game. Yeah. That is not the best way for Oregon football to win football games. They win by saying, hand it off on first down. Yeah. Play action if you get second and short. Yeah. Manageable throw on third and manageable, short or medium. And let Kayvon Thibodeau and Mace Funa and your studs and your, your hogs pin their ears back and kill quarterbacks on defense. Yeah. I think you've drawn up the game quite nicely there. I mean, I think in a nutshell, yeah. Obviously, we need good, good Justin Herbert, but assuming that, you got to have success on first down running the football. you got to get it to second and five, second and six, somewhere in that range where you've got to – and then you can go play action, mm-hmm. and even if you don't get all of it, you can get two-thirds of it. You yeah. know, get yourself into a third and two, maybe third and three. Keep it manageable. you got to do that all game. I know it sounds simple. It's not. I mean, you've got to do that all game. Right. When you deviate. No negative plays. Yeah, no negative plays. And when you deviate and start getting cute and, and throwing the ball on first down and it's incomplete and you're looking at second and ten, you're already behind the chains. You you just you stick with that recipe until it's an absolute disaster and you have to abandon it. That's mm-hmm. And I agree. And like you said, defense is you know defense played well enough in most games. Let them do their job. Let your defense have a chance at keeping you in this football game and helping you win this football game. Right, because they can uh, for Oregon. So, um, yeah. So that was player of the game. Uh oof. you know I'm I'm horrible at this. Yeah, <laughs> you nail it every week, man. You, you you say Javon Holland's player of the game before Auburn, and he has a big day. 
you say this is the week for Dell as player of the game. He goes off for like 200 yards. I don't know. I I think this is a game where I, I had this down in my notes for my show prep today. This is a game for Thomas Graham. Oh yeah, and and I I single him out, but really it's it's a game for that whole Oregon secondary for sure because you have guys that either are seniors that are moving on, or you have guys like him that they're thinking about it. Yeah, and they might. Um, scouts are going to be watching. Right, NFL yes. teams are going to be there. Yes, it's Friday, and they know they can catch a plane from F- uh, SFO, go to Atlanta the next day, or go to. Texas the next day, Jerry World. They're going to be here. Yeah, they're going to watch this game, and they want to see this Oregon secondary. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, Lenore and, and Graham definitely have something to prove uh, this weekend. I think it's a good call. The secondary is pivotal to Oregon success, at least from a defensive standpoint. Uh, I am going to go offensive though, um, and it's probably not, it's not a name I haven't picked yet this year. So I do appreciate that, but. I go with Johnny Johnson, man. Like oh, he's tearing it up. He's tearing it up. Uh, I think he's kind of. I, I think. I think when when your de- opposing defensive coordinators, opposing defenses are saying, "Okay, we need to reduce the the running attack, Oregon." So they're they're scheming to try and and prevent big plays from Dyer Verdell. I think that's first and foremost. Second is I think they're scheming to make sure that there is help uh, against Juwan Johnson, and he deserves that. I think that leaves a guy like Johnny Johnson basically a lot of times in single man coverage, uh, kind of the forgotten man. And really, I think Justin Herbert's got the ultimate confidence in him at this point moving forward. So not that he's not confident in anybody else. And I do believe that a strong run game is the recipe for success for Oregon. You're going to have to pass the ball at some point. We know you have to. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be Johnny Johnson making a couple big plays on Saturday. Friday. Excuse me, Friday. That wears me out. It's just such routine. Yeah. For, yeah, for Saturday. Yeah. I still hate the Friday game. I hate the Friday I'm going to say that forever. It's stupid. I'm going to say that forever. Yep. I, I'll be hosting a, I hope, someday. Like, I don't ever want to leave radio. I hope someday in my heart, I'm like 60 years old, and I'm sitting in a chair in a studio talking about sports radio, and I'll still be complaining about Friday games. Yeah, Friday games are dumb. Pac-12, from, from now on, put it back on Saturday, and just don't schedule it at the same time as the SEC championship game. That's right, it. right. I, I just... Schedule the damn thing at 4 or 5. We, we don't want to flip between SEC title game and Pac-12, and I don't want to miss... Keith Brown's games at Lebanon yeah. or or the local games here when Crater goes to the state championship game yeah. and you got Duck fans from Southern Oregon torn because do you go to the Civil War or do you go to Cottage Grove for the state title game, yeah. right? Like, we don't want that dilemma every week. Right. Don't do the Friday games. No. Friday games are dumb. Move this, move this stupid thing to Vegas and move it to Saturday. Yes. Period. Vegas will embrace you with open arms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get people mm. there. Yeah, they'll give tickets away at the Man. slot machines. Like, go check out the game. Right. There's going to be nobody in the stands on Friday. You think so? I think it's going to be real empty. I, I think... Because of the weather. I, when, okay, because it's Friday at 5, and it's going to be crap weather. Oh. Oh, I forgot. That's the worst part. Okay, I'm with you. I don't buy it for weather, but I've gone to Raider games. And I've gone to A's games, and I've seen the Warriors play. 
five o'clock in the Bay Area on a Friday in Santa Clara, right? Where you you've got freeway traffic. That's the dumbest single thing they could do. Yeah, blows my mind. Yep. Anyway, thanks, Larry Scott. <laughs> Larry Scott is a genius. Uh, let's wrap the show on that note. Great interview from Andre. Love having you listening to us. Love having you supporting us this year. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Find it on the podcast apps. I use it on my iPhone. You can also check it out uh, Android as well and mm-hmm. online, scoopduck.com. Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Thanks for listening. I can do this night life all day long.